Hello there and welcome to episode 57 of the Hawthorns Debate Club. My name is Jamie Clay and I'm joined almost every third week by two gentlemen to have a few conversations and discussions about West Bromwich Albion. So let me start by saying a warm hello to my good friend Alex Collins. Hello. And hello to my simply joyful little brother, Joe Clay. Hello. So, just when you thought it was safe to return to the murky podcast waters, we are back, baby! Like a great white predatory shark, we are here to devour your ears and your souls. So yes, it feels good to push open the doors of the debate club, to clean the dust off the furniture, to get the fire up and roaring once again, to take our place for some much-needed soul-searching, some head-scratching, and let's be honest, some emotional support. Because most teams expect that there will be bad patches in a season. Even the best teams will have moments where the machine doesn't click, or an off day where the soup isn't quite as spicy as you were expecting. But the Steve Bruce soup machine called West Bromwich Albion is currently cold and broken. This really doesn't feel like a patch. We went from sharp, jagged glass-in-your-eyes style football under Val to smooth, rounded glass-in-your-eyes under Bruce. It may be slightly better, but the result is the same. Supporting Albion is like having glass shoved repeatedly into your sore, sore eyes. Maybe that's a tad extreme, but a few weeks off haven't changed the mood around the Albion. Things are toxic, and that starts at the very top and works its way down to the very bottom. And although a couple of encouraging minutes against Norwich happened, and perhaps there were a few refereeing decisions we could bemoan, it's not enough to sponge out the truth that is simply this. It's not good enough and we do deserve more. But before we discuss all of that and the latest news and all of the time that has elapsed while I've been away and various other life things have been going on, so much has happened in the world. We have a new king, we have a new prime minister, we've had transfer deadline day. That's actually how long ago it was. Let me say a huge thank you for downloading and supporting us by listening to the podcast. We appreciate every single one of you, especially because it has been a while. We appreciate your patience. We love you for it. All that we ever ask you to do as a listener and supporter of this podcast is to share it with other people, to tell people about the podcast. When you go to the game, mention it to people that you listen to. It's called podcast. And there's these three guys and they talk about the Albion and it's a little bit informative and it's quite entertaining. You don't have to oversell it too much, but do tell people about us share it on your instagram twitter whatever the case may be it really does help us you can leave us a review if you like the platform of your podcast listening choice we definitely prefer those listeners who have left us reviews so on this week's podcast it's kind of a little bit of a taking stock i guess there's been so much that's happened that we can't react to in its immediacy now Lots of results, transfer deadline day, loads of little milestones in the calendar that have come and gone. So it really does feel like we're just having a look at the big picture, a little bit of a holistic look at the season so far. Really to gain an idea of just where are we as a club right now? And I think that conversation extends to so much more than just what we've seen on the pitch. And hopefully we're going to get to all of it today. Nevertheless, in the interim period, since we last spoke to one, another there has been three games that have been played the results of which have all been um, 
disappointing, I guess. Burnley won all, Birmingham 3-2 last, and Norwich we drew one all with. We've also had transfer deadline day, and although there are plenty of specifics and talking points from each one of those individual events that we could speak about, the end result is that Albion find themselves in 21st in the table, which even reading that aloud is just absolute shocking, really. I think that on the spectrum of possible outcomes of this season, nobody thought we'd perhaps dip as low as that. We're joint 22nd, which is even more frightening, which places in the relegation zone, if I'm correct there, effectively. We, oui. we oui, monsieur. So let's talk a little bit about that. I guess it feels like just simply put a pace to start this discussion. I think when we approached this season in the pre-season, there was a certain level of trepidation still about Bruce being at the helm. I think the most positive outlook was give him a chance. He's built a seemingly decent squad. My imagination is that when we were considering this season, where we currently find ourselves didn't really feel possible. I think we were expecting to be in and around the playoff challenge from the get-go, really. Just how bad is us being 21st in the table? Is that something we can brush off as bad luck? Or is it really an indication of how significantly wrong things are at the club at the moment? Some people may say that we're only 10 points off automatic. I, I, I'm going to stop you there, Joe. I imagine that the next person to speak after you will say that. Maybe. We'll see. But for me, is the draws. Normally, you can put up with draws in the mid part of the season. It's getting a bit tiring. But at the start of the season, having seven draws, for me, that seems a bit too safe. Looks like it's a Bruce tactic, trying not to lose. And that's really alarming for me um, because going at this rate at seven draws, we ain't going to get many points on the board and we're going to be just outside the relegation zone. We'll stay up, but it's going to be a terrible season for us. There's some statistics out there. I'm not going to steal all of Alex's statistics, but I want to talk about one which is really alarming to me, that we put in 40 more crosses than any other team. And for me, that is a great statistic for us if we have the means to attack those crosses. And we don't. We don't have a striker who's a target man. We were talking before this. I bet you if you look at those crosses, I bet you 90 to 95% are high crosses, not low crosses. When we've got Carlin Grant or now we're having Asante starting up front, who are foxes in the box, really. You know, they could put them away. And they're not players who jump up and score, you know, header after header. It's great having loads of crosses, but with the players not there to utilise those crosses, I think, again, Bruce has got that wrong. Yeah, I think being only 10 points off automatic, I really do struggle with our, our status as a team and like whether we're doing well or whether we're doing bad. I look back fondly to the conversation that we had on the last episode with Tom from Baggy's Bulletin, where he mentioned that he would give Steve Bruce 10 games before deciding whether we should stick with him or whether it's time for him to move on. But I'm still struggling. Like I, I don't know whether he's the right man or he's not. I mean, I've, I always, when I when I think about Bruce, I'd, he doesn't sort of wow me or fill me with confidence. He's at best really a, a mediocre manager in my opinion. But if he could turn even you know three or four of those draws into wins, would would be in the automatic promotion places at the moment. So it's just that look of the draw really. Like some of those. I mean, we've hit the bar four times. Which I think I think that's just incredible. I think it's mad how tight the championship is this season. That said, it's there for the taking, and we're not realising the opportunity. But who knows? Like after we've had a little international break, you know, the players might come back guns blazing, and we might start to shift up the league. I really hope we do. 
I like how you said international break. We've also had an international break, except you, Alex. I've been to Paris. Jamie's been to America. Yeah, we've all had an international break. I know. I'm, I'm well overdue a holiday, to be honest with you. It seems as though I'm the only one who's committed to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, true. Definitely true as well, Alex. I think you both made really good points there. I think this whole discussion about where we are, I'm worried as well. I think although there are certain elements of what you can point to and certain statistics that would suggest that perhaps we're misplaced in the league currently, like we are creating chances and even your eyeballs tell you that it is still an improved performances than under Val, which was a real struggle to watch. There's elements of the way we play that are definitely more exciting. We're seeing better from our key players. They feel more alive and more dangerous in, in Steve Bruce's team. But nevertheless, I do think that even if we were slightly more lucky or the the rub of the green was slightly more with us or the ball bounced in our favour more often than it has this season. I don't think we're far off where the table says we are currently. I don't think we're performing at a standard that demands we should be up the top end of the league. I think, yeah, we're creating chances. I'd argue about the quality of those chances and even the big chances column. But I do feel like when I'm watching Albion at the moment, you're seeing a team that's struggling with an identity they're struggling to kind of know what their best way of playing is there seems to be this pattern of play that keeps repeating itself that Albion seemed to have under Val and it's kind of overlapped into Steve Bruce's era now where we play the ball around in a horseshoe pattern and cross it across the box to no effect really and I think yeah that statistic being first in a statistic that doesn't mean much um, having 40 more crosses than another team, it just says, well, other teams perhaps worked out that crossing isn't always the best strategy in a football game um, because it seems to be a really ineffective way of converting chances in the league. Alex, while we're speaking, is typing that statistic was doing the rounds on Instagram last week that at the other end of the field, we've got David Button, who's statistically the worst keeper in the league as well, conceding half the shots he faced, which is absolutely absurd in the end of the day. But again, it speaks to if the problem is there for all to see and the evidence is there, statistically speaking, there was there's only one man that can do something about that, and that's Steve Bruce. And I guess the conversation naturally kind of leads to that place then of what do we do with Steve Bruce? Is this his fault? Could we be better off with a different manager? I guess it, it even extends into who could be our potential manager. But ultimately... A lot of people wanted him gone at the end of last season. The more temperate folks amongst us, I don't include myself there, but people like Alex, Tom, as you've mentioned from Baggy's Bulletin, were keen to give Steve Bruce the start of this season. We are a quarter of the way into this season now. Is my maths right there? Nearly a quarter, just under a quarter, just over. How many games have we played? Ten games. So we're just Uh, under a quarter. Yeah, just under a quarter. Yeah, so thanks, Alex, for double-checking my maths there with such confidence. He's had a quarter of the season, and the quarter of the season in, we are dramatically underperforming. We are off the pace, whatever you want to call it. This something isn't working, and is it a case of we give it more time? I know where I stand on that, but perhaps the question is simply put Bruce out or Bruce not out? I think Bruce out, as we've just described, there's many flaws to his tactics. Yeah, it might look prettier on the eye, 
still not very pretty, is it? So I think we're just picking up positives out of a bad bunch of uh, negatives from last season. So I would have him out easily by tomorrow. You know, uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I think we'd have to lose the next couple of games because then we're going to be, things start breaking away. There will be, Sheffield United will start breaking away. They've already three points at the top, aren't they? That's where we should be aiming for at minimum playoffs. So if the board, and I don't think Ly is an idiot. Yeah, people have their quarrels about him and how he treats the club. But if we're in the relegation zone after 15, 16 games and there's starting to be a gap, he's got to protect his investment. So I think he will be gone. And I just think we need someone with a bit of grit between them who wants to show because Bruce has done it. Bruce is at the end of his career. He's just picking up money left, right and centre, getting sacked at the moment. We want someone with some grit. Not to say, but someone like, I know he's gone to Derby now, but you know, the Rotherham manager, he had a bit of grit behind him. He's got something to prove, you know, those type of managers. Even if it is an English manager, even if it's not the prettiest football, but someone with a bit of grit, like when Bruce went to Hull, he had the grit and he showed what he was made out of. That's what we need. I think we do need to twist, you know, on this one and we need to twist dramatically and it doesn't need to be an overseas manager it can be a british manager from league one someone in the championship but we just got to do something like that because this is stale and stale means eventually getting relegated might not be this season but if we keep bruce to the end of the season people will leave we won't get great players in because people won't want to sign for the albion because we're not those contenders for the promotion or playoffs it's a solid out for me yeah, I mean, another name, Bilic. I mean, he's just gone to Watford, hasn't he? How good would it have been to to get him back at the, the Hawthorns? Uh, I feel like we've missed... About it, man. I'm too heartbroken. I know. Like, I've been crying for the last couple of days. Commercial, mate. For me, like I'd probably say Bruce out as well at this stage, just because I think there is better out there. Like I wouldn't mind Sean Deutsch, for example. It's just no nonsense. Thought I saw him on the Fozcast. Don't know if you two have seen that episode with Sean Deutsch. In really interesting, but he knows what he wants. He seems like a good person to be managed by, in, in that he likes to have a bit of fun as well. But he's also got that. Like if you cross him then, you know, you're in trouble. I do think he's got a good character. But yeah, Bruce out for me. I, I just don't think he's good enough. I'd prefer somebody else. I think it was said on a lot of the national podcasts at the start of this season when they were ranking where certain teams are going to finish in the league. And and I felt almost offended at how they were treating Albion, given the playing squad, how good it looked on paper by saying that simply because Steve Bruce was our manager, that they couldn't see us finishing in the top two. And most pundits were putting us kind of on the fringes or just inside the playoffs. And at the time, I can remember thinking, how can a manager have an overall negative effect to such an effect on a team that a squad that is quite comfortably, on paper at least, the top two, set of players how can the manager have such a kind of some negative effect on that that means that they drop so substantially and it proves that well for one I don't know what I'm talking about but it's obvious to me that Steve Bruce he doesn't have the means to manage a team in the current footballing climate the game has moved on since his heyday when people talk about Bruce has done it before you're talking about more than a decade ago for a lot of his success And ultimately, the game has changed massively in that time. And I think you're seeing that by the way he approaches football matches. And there's just a bunch of things that have upset fans from the very start of the season. Team selection, not mixing it up with kind of younger players. I know Asante has just come in recently, but even the button drama of him being not having a 
an understudy that can come in and replace him when he's clearly struggling. I think all of these problems point to Steve Bruce. And for me, at this point, it's like, well, how much worse could another manager be? Like, I'm not one that wants Sean Dyshin because ultimately I think you're talking about a manager who plays a style of football that, again, doesn't suit the players we've got. I think when you think about Sean Dyche, you think about a big Ashley Barnes or Chris Wood up front, like a battering ram at the centrepiece of his football and then a bunch of crosses coming in. We simply don't have the players to make that work, in my opinion. We have the type of players that suited a manager like Slavin Bilic once again. Um, and the fact that we're stuck in a situation now, clearly with Steve Bruce, and then you hear these rumours that are circulating around on Twitter um, when Chris Lepowski tweets that he's been assured Ron Gawley won't sack Steve Bruce given any circumstances. I mean, that that can't possibly be totally true because of what you said, Joe. At the end of the day, Guacanlai's got an investment to protect, even though he treats it very poorly. He's still a businessman to some degree, whether we rate him or not. And ultimately, Steve Bruce is on a leash and the, the noose is tightening around his neck, so to speak. But effectively, I cannot see a way forward to West Bromwich Albion this season with Steve Bruce at the helm. So I am firmly Steve Bruce out. To jump on that, I think Gourlay would be sacked with Bruce if he didn't go and sack him for so long. But the problem with us getting a new manager in, I think it's got to be someone new and upcoming from the lower leagues because they're going to be someone who will put up with lies ownership. If you get someone like Sean Dyche, he isn't going to come in. Hear the horror stories. People talk around football. We all know it. Lie doesn't give any money. Plays hardball. And like we have this season in the transfer window, we screwed up. We've loaned out all our defenders. We've left with Kyle Bartley, loaned out everybody and we screwed up. And that's not down to lie. That is down to also down to Gourlay and Bruce loaned out too many people but I just don't think I could see anybody with experience I don't think Bilic would have come back in because they know what the chairman's like I think we're just going to have to go with someone from the lower leagues and pay a little bit of compensation and that's how I see it going but I can't see Gawley having the vision for that to be fair I think for me, however you, your opinion on what we are as a club, that outsiders looking in still see Albion as a, a big club. But they, they still see us as huge potential. You look at that playing squad and the manager will be licking his lips thinking, they all believe their own hype for one, but they'll all be thinking, no, I'm the guy. I can get the most out of those players. Steve Bruce is a clown. And they'll be thinking, all I need to do is go in there and hit the ground running and I'm a quids in for a premiership job in a season or a season and a half's time. I think that's how a lot of young managers will be looking at it. I think a lot of even veteran managers will be thinking one final hurrah would be to get what is effectively a promotion favourite or a playoff favourite out of a relegation battle. I mean, I'm no football expert. I play football manager. That's the extent of my ability. But you'd be rubbing your hands at that, thinking this is um, shooting fish in a barrel. I can do this job easily on a shoestring budget because the players are already there to make a challenge. And I think the fact that Steve Bruce is making such a mess of it, even if there is bad luck, even if there is statistics that kind of speak to a slight unfortunate nature to the way certain games have mapped out and the script has worked against us and whatever, that ultimately when a team is performing as poorly as we are and picking up as few results we are, heads have got a role. And for me, I'm happy to see the back of Ron Gourley. I don't think he's done much. I think we gave him credit for what very little he's done, which is bring back the fan zone, which I think has been what once this season so far or twice at the very most. And that's it. Kids for a quid. 
great. Like, it's a nice gesture, but fans want to see results on the pitch. I'd be quite comfortable if him and Steve Bruce were both gone tomorrow, like you said, Joe. Just think it was a pack of lies, weren't it? At the start of the season. Like you say, it's good that they've lowered the um, kids for a quid, that kind of thing. But we were expecting to have more communication, more transparency, and we just haven't had it. I guess that's where a lot of people then think that the conversation again naturally evolves to, and that is kind of the situation beyond Steve Bruce. And I think the point at which this became perhaps most vocal in my memory over the last few weeks is the kind of failed transfer deadline day. There was so much expectation on that day, so much promise that Albion were active and busy in the transfer market. And we all know the story of how it kind of fizzled out and there was this disaster behind the scenes with paperwork not completed and whatever. We've all heard the story at this point, but it spoke to this incompetence behind the scenes that this complete failure that wasn't anything to do with just performances on the pitch it seems to be that whatever we turn to hand at around at the moment we are completely amateurish and I think this is the team that supposedly Ron Gawley was coming in to build and there was this Ian Pierce, the head of recruitment and people questioned what his role was at the club and then there was this there's no list of players and then all of these different kind of single dominoes that keep getting knocked down that seem to point to this huge huge problem at every level of kind of general infrastructure that you'd expect for a football club to function and it just seems to be so prevalent at every like single element of the club even down to the ticket offices and how much for pain it is to get tickets sorted down to the website and ordering tickets and just every part of the club seems so broken and, and not fit for purpose and I guess the big 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 head of all of that then is Guacanlai sitting at the top on his his throne of ashes of the club currently. And it's like, well, the money wasn't there to invest. The club were forced into a situations to chase players on a free, which relied on and loans, which relied on other clubs to do their business ahead of us, which meant that we were forced into working with a clock that didn't suit us. And, and ultimately you can, look at these different loans that were taken out against the club and how unusual it is for shares and dividends to be paid out to owners and how we're one of a few clubs that have done that in recent history and, and all of this total mess. But at the same time, again, it seems like we're stuck with this guy because ultimately there's no one that's going to be able to stump up the cash that he thinks our club is currently worth because truth be told, Jeremy Peace absolutely did the kind of used car salesman trick on him and sold him a dud for over the odds. It's a weird one with Ly, isn't it? No one likes him. He hasn't put in any investment in. He's taken it out. Does. <laughs> well, I don't know. We don't hear from him. That would be an well, unusual statement if he came out just to simply say that he felt unloved by his birth mother, but it would explain kind of the way he treats Albion. Yeah, I think it's more likely to get a statement from his mother than him, to be honest. My Bring son Ken... has been a very naughty boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bring Ken back. That's all I, I want. They need me to go in there as a business architect, see what lacking capabilities we have, which is majority of the capabilities of the club is non-existent and just work it out i think we need to start again there's no scouting system as we've seen since to be fair to dowling that was the last scouting system we had he may not have been good he may have had some duds in there like zahor but it doesn't seem like we've got any scouting system now like you said even the general upkeep of the club like down to the ticket offices everything like that it's just it's poor isn't it i think these things happen when your chairman 
or your owner isn't invested in actually running the club or supporting the club, especially a football club where you have to, there's fans involved and they're a stakeholder of it. I think these things happen, things get rusty, things break down. You've seen it at Man United. They always go on about the stadium. Gary Neville always goes, it's not being invested in. But they spend so much money, <laughs> that club do. We spend zero. I'd love to see the, the amount of money we spent since he's came in. I know we had a season where we spent quite a lot when we were in the Premiership when we bought Oliver Burke and uh, we had Kroshoviak. But that was the only season we really went out and spent a lot of money. So I'd like to see the difference between Jeremy Peace. It might be just in my head and the badness of you know him, him being an ownership has blurred how much Jeremy Peace didn't spend as well. But I'd like to see that statistic between Jeremy Peace and what we actually spent on both of them because I'd say it's probably close, but I think with Jeremy Peace, he had a good system in place in the club. He had the scouting system so we could get people cheaper, but they're worth more. I know we didn't sell them, but you know there was that owner who had oversight of the company and we have an owner who doesn't have any oversight of this company and he's letting it be dragged down into the mud and stomped up. Stumpled? Stomped all over. Yeah, man. Stomp <laughs> stomped all over. Stomp and trample at the same time. Yeah. I think there's a case you can make, and this isn't a popular case, that Guacanlai has been unlucky in elements of his ownership at West Brom. He bought a club who clearly over the price now, but I think that's the general consensus is even where Albion were, given their run in the premiership, he paid more money than we were worth. He spent money that season, which I, I don't know if I'm right or wrong in saying was perhaps one of our record spending seasons. And they were players that were picked by Tony Pulis. And effectively, Tony Pulis was not the man to take us forward. Fans knew that. Everyone who kind of watches football knows that Tony Pulis isn't your long-term guy. He's a, a firefighter, isn't he? Like Sam Allardyce and co. And since then... A lot of decisions that they've made have just fallen on the wrong side of luck. Now, as you say, Joe, I think you're right. If they'd built infrastructure, if he had a a hands-on approach to the day-to-day running of the club, or at least supervising the day-to-day running of the club, I would imagine that we wouldn't have got to this position. But again, it's his name above the door. And consequently, that means it's his heads that got to roll. I just think so many of the managers that he's appointed, I can see the thought process behind it i can see the thought process behind certain spending strategies but they just haven't worked out i think valerian ishmael was an attempt at re-rolling the dice and starting again and he just went so wrong selling Mateus Pereira for under his value again i can see the even i think we spoke about in this podcast i could see the kind of machinations behind the scenes that would have led to that moment but it just fell wrong and despite all of that despite all of the kind of what ifs, buts and maybes, ultimately, like I say, he doesn't treat the club the way fans deserve, in my opinion. And really, I can't see a situation where it isn't. The sooner he sells, the better off we'll be. But who's going to want to buy us? So, yeah, I think that covers the much-charted territory of Light is a liar and he needs to be gone. We've hinted at it in there about the kind of failed transfer deadline day. Obviously, that was in terms of players signing Alzate and Onoma spring to mind, but obviously there's been a few more bits of business that have been conducted since then. Coming into the club, we've had Tom Rogic, 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 
Is there a correct pronunciation there? Alex is on mute. So you actually pronounce it silently by just mouthing the word. According to the Wikipedia, it's Rog Itch. Rog Itch. Okay. So Tom Rog Itch, Eric Pieters, which is definitely how you say that one, and Martin Kelly have all come in. Kelly and Roger are apparently, I've said that wrong again, much off the pace and in need of a bit of a pre-season. But Eric Peters have already made his debut and impressed so far. What do you think of these assortment of goodies that we've brought into the club recently? I think Martin Kelly, Peters, stable, strong defenders do a job. You're not going to get many mistakes from them. You know, if in doubt, kick it out type of thing. I think that's what they are. Rogic or Rogic. I'm looking forward to him. He's spent most of his career, I believe, at Celtic. No one really knows what he's about because he's been up in the Scottish Premier League for so long. And I don't think it's as watched anymore as it was when I was younger. Everyone supported Celtic or Rangers, but not anymore. But I think he's done wonders up there. I just think he wanted a change and just run his contract down. So hopefully he comes good for us. Gets a new challenge in the championship and really shows his class preach it brother i'd like to introduce you to research and wikipedia corner rog itch he's uh, 29 years old it's his birthday on the 16th of december jamie do you want to have a guess at how tall he is see now for the position he plays when i have in my mind players like john swift all the way down to david silver so i'm feeling sure but then i think that that's misleading i think he looks quite a presence so i'm gonna say he is six foot on the nose close jamie but don't get your cigar out he's actually um six foot two inches no way so he's quite a tall he's lad a tall bloke yeah he's, he was born in griffiths in australia he's had many a uh, team in australia i like the way you're saying that by the way i know honestly i can't say it any other way i feel like i say it in the australian way you do but yeah, anyway, Celtic, he's had 178 appearances, scoring 32 goals. I think he's an excellent signing, you know, peak of his career, hopefully. I've only seen people say good things about him. So he comes here with quite a reputation. You know, he's won leagues, won cups. So hopefully he can like show the team the know-how uh, to be successful in the championship. Has his um, mum released a statement about him? Afraid not. Okay, interesting. Uh, um, I'd just like to say that Eric Peters is actually pronounced Eric Paytush. Oh, nice. And he was born on the 7th of August, which, correct me if I'm wrong, Jamie, 11 days prior to your birthday. Yes, 11 days prior to the day after my birthday, yes. Yes, okay. And he's 34 years old, and he was born in Teal in Netherlands. Originally started out in Utrecht. He's played for PSV Eindhoven, not a bad part. club. Yeah. Played Stoke City, where he spent the majority of his career making 190 appearances, scoring three times. And he's also played at Burnley, where he played 56 times. He's played for the Dutch team 18 times, so he's got a lot of pedigree there. Mm-hmm. I saw him against the Blues. He came on sub, and then I watched him on telly against Norwich. And he looks like uh, a bit like Stephen Reid. You know, he's got that composure on the ball. He seems like a good character. So I'm looking forward to seeing more of Eric Peters. Martin Kelly, on the other hand, he comes in with a lot of uh, experience. He was born on the 27th of April, which is close to Joe's birthday. He's 32 years old. Joe, do you want to have a guess at how tall Martin Kelly is? I'm going to go 6'2". Very close, very, very close. But he's actually 6'3". So you're taking an inch away from him there, which is not very fair. And the truth uh, is, he's just far away when you're in the ground, Joe. 
Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, that's why. That's why. That's where you lose the inch. He started out his career at Liverpool, making 33 appearances. Then he went out on loan to Huddersfield. He's played at Crystal Palace 121 times. You know, he's played for the England team. He's got one cap in 2012. He's from Whiston, which I, I believe is in Liverpool somewhere. But again, I think he's an old hand. But I think he'll come in with a good bit of experience. Adds a bit of competition for our defence. So, yeah, again, I think he's a decent bit of business. I, I mean, I'm... I'm I quite like all three signings, but I just wish we'd spent a bit more money. I think that's the, you've obviously, Alex, you've outlined their physical attributes and kind of playing careers beautifully there. But I think for me, these signings, however encouraging they are, perhaps the most encouraging one in terms of just what you see from compilations and a player who's going to bring more to an area of excitement on the pitch that Tom Rogic stands out to me. I think Eric Pieter's probably is the player we needed most out of those three. There'll be a competition at fullback. I guess my concern about these signings are, do they address the areas of need we had in the squad? I think that was a little bit of the commentary going around transfer deadline day. We did miss out on players, but were they the players that we needed? Obviously, we've already spoken about the striker issue. I think as the season's worn on, it's become abundantly clear we did need reinforcements in defence, especially now that Bartley is public enemy number one as well. We didn't really speak about that much at all, but i got to be honest, like when... I've been on holiday, obviously, but when you hear that people have been booing him and I know he's, he's probably one of the poorer players. He's never really been an overly popular character, I guess, for the fans, Carl Bartley, but I just hate when we boo our own players. It just seems so like pathetic and counterproductive. I just, I don't know. I don't get it really. I get that they, all of them have reasons that they frustrate us and so often that has been the case over the last two years or so, but yeah, it just leaves a bad taste in your mouth, doesn't it, booing? Not literally, but like metaphorically speaking, at least. So, yeah, I think the defensive reinforcements now more than ever are needed. But are you, like me, still disappointed that we haven't really addressed the striker position specifically? I know Asante Thomas has been encouraging with the kind of cameo performances we've seen from him. But because there's this reluctance to change the way we play and we're still going to flood the boxes with crosses... Were you expecting a little bit more of that target man that we've been speaking about to come in, whether that be on a free or on transfer deadline day? I was definitely expecting that. I was expecting a uh, out the woodwork loan on transfer deadline day. But yeah, it didn't come. And I think that's going to be not our undoing, because I don't think we will go down or anything like that. If we keep Bruce, we're probably mid-table. But those draws with those type of players and the tactics he's played, like Alex said, a couple of those could have been wins with a, a target man in there who could have finished some of the crosses. So, yeah, if you're going to play that tactic, get someone who can finish that tactic off. I think most people could realise that, but apparently Ron Gourlay and uh, Steve Bruce didn't. Yeah, I, I just think if we had DK playing, I do think we'd be in the automatic promotion spots now. I really do. But he needs to get fit again, doesn't he? I think you can make a case that we'd be further at the table if DK was playing. The issue for me is that how much are we going to see of DK? He seems like, we've said it before, a very fragile player. And there's been a lot of talk about these kind of bigger built athletic players who rely so much on their physicality. Even Haaland kind of falls into this category of every few games he'll miss a game because of carrying a niggle and so much of it's to do with the way they play. 
And from what I've seen of Daryl DK, it's not just a huge and strong FIFA 20, whatever. What FIFA is it this year? 23. FIFA 23 strongest player, which was interesting, I thought. His card, strongest player in the game. Um, mm-hmm. It's not just that he's physical and imposing. He's a very aggressive style of play as well. He really does throw defenders around and really put his body on the line. And it's great to watch, but ultimately it comes at the cost of his body. And I just don't see how there's much longevity within there that may be just overly negative and unnecessarily speculative, but it it just feels like how long will it be before we see the best of Daryl DK in a West Bromshire? I just can't see it being this season really no and uh, as an opposition straight away you're gonna go in and put yourself into him straight away aren't you because he's a danger man and if he can easily get crocked like that not they're gonna aim to injure him but they're gonna put them uh, you know the first challenge him just to try and hurt him and it seems one of those challenges he can last the game and then he's after that training he injures himself in that it's just odd the whole thing's odd and uh, it goes back to even our medical team we used to have a really good medical team turning things around quickly. Every injury now seems to last ages and it never comes back and they don't tell us the truth up front. It always it gets extended. You find out through the press, oh, he's not coming back eight weeks. It's going to be 16 weeks now and he needs to get up to speed and we're going to smother him in cotton wool or wrap him. We can smother him as well. But... Smother him or wrap him. I mean, if we have to pick one that our medical team is going to use regularly, we're going to go with wrap over smother. I don't think this medical team, I think they would go smother. Maybe Perhaps our where previous they're going medi- wrong, yeah. Perhaps <laughs> yeah. they're absolutely, they're performing executions rather than rehabilitation on injuries. Yeah, I don't think, we, like you said, I don't think we'll see the best of him this season. Maybe just keep him on substitutes on going into this after the World Cup. I don't think he'll feature in the World Cup when USA need him. And I hope he doesn't, to be honest, because he could get cropped again there and we're screwed again. It's difficult, isn't it? Because you want the best for him and you want the best for Albion. And I guess the, the, the thing it just leaves me scratching your head and perhaps where this conversation started is it feels like whether DK's fit or not, you need a replacement on standby for him just because I think you've got to expect him to not play every single game. Even a healthy Daryl DK, I think you need to rest. And the fact that we haven't done that it's totally baffling for me again. And you hear Steve Bruce come out in the press and talk about how they had an identified striker as a priority. It just baffles me. What What is he watching when we're watching games? It's so clear that striker is a huge issue for us. We're creating chances left, right and centre when you look at every metric. And they are a specific style of chance, as you've already said, number of crosses. Those crosses are what's leading to us being high up the chances created, Mark. So you need a player that is suited to receiving and attacking crosses. And the simple truth of it is, is that you look for the entire squad at West Brom and there isn't one there at all. Right. On the other end of it, I don't think we said this. I can't remember when. It's been so long since we did the last podcast. But Callum Robinson has gone. Permanent deal to Cardiff. Real shame. I think the way he's kind of time at Albion run. I think the send-off that West Brom gave him was pretty good and the fans were really encouraging him. But yeah, he's been a good club servant, I would argue, Callum Robinson. He's already hit the ground running at Cardiff, hasn't he? A number of assists and whatnot. And the amount of money we got for him is an absolute 
joke, in my opinion. Was it one and a half million they've bought him for? Yeah, I mean, the number of assists he got last season and goals for us alone, you'd have thought we could command it a higher price, but that is what it is. Kevin Castro returned from Burton and since gone out on loan to Notts County in the National League. Scored a screamer the other day. I saw a free kick, proper Ronaldo-esque run from 35 yards and Tom Fellows has gone out on loan to Crawley as well. So we'll obviously keep an eye on how they're doing, but you'll probably see it on social media before anything else. Let's jump into a quick preview of our upcoming games against Swansea. Perhaps is the main point of focus. I always dread playing Swansea. Swansea seem to have our number. Whenever we play them, I'm expecting them to score at least three goals against us that is uh when we're playing in the premiership home away it doesn't matter i always feel like swansea will score three goals against us and it's just a case of then can we outperform them was that one game was it last season or the season before it was like our best performance of the year when we beat them five something that was under billich yeah, that was like, that was one time I can remember us doing well against them. But for some reason, I just feel like Swansea always represent a little bit of a banana skin for us. And I think this season remains the same. They're not doing too well at all, are they? They're, they're struggling. And they're, from what the, the little bits and pieces that I've glimpsed of them and the kind of commentary and the, the voices around them are saying that they're really committed to a playing style, that possession style that we associate so much with them. But it's ineffective in terms of creating chances and scoring chances. So it's just a lot of possession with no end product. But it looks a bit good on the eye. And I worry about playing a team like that. I think the type of teams we've done well against this season are those types of teams that have tried to like try to play against us with fast approach football and we can get in behind them and, and cause problems with our wingers and whatnot. But a team that are happy to sit and play with the ball around the back line and sit in deep and, and try and build from I I feel like we could really struggle against this. There's a part of me that's happy for us to struggle if it leads to Steve Bruce being sacked. I think there was part of me that was happy for us to lose to Norwich if it led to Steve Bruce being sacked. But it's about as predictable as anything else in the world that as soon as Steve Bruce needs to pull a draw out of his hat, he can pull a draw out of his hat on command. But if we struggle against Swansea, I think even a draw should be enough to see him gone. It won't be. But I think if we were to lose this game, it led to his sacking. I would be quite comfortable with that. My prediction, Swansea 3-1. Yeah, yeah Swansea's a horrible one, isn't it? Especially when we play at theirs. I know we're playing at home. Nathan Dye used to always score against us. I don't even know if he plays for him anymore. He's probably about 40 now. But yeah, I, I just see this one being them passing it around and us just putting it to the wings and crossing it over the top. Hopefully, you know, we can get that win. But I, I'm in the same boat. I never want us to lose or draw... I just want us to win, but I think it would be beneficial for Bruce to go for our season. You know, I think winning this one, we could go on and lose another couple, but it saves his job for another uh, five, six games. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's tough, isn't it? I still think we'll draw this one, and I think it'll be a 1-1 on this, and I think probably concede first, but like we always do, except against Norwich. And a sand table score. He'll start Grant this game. He'll... Santa come off the bench as well. Yeah, um, Nathan Dyer, he was actually 34, Joe. Blimey, no, he's he, been going for years. But he retired in 2016. Um, and he, he was on loan at Leicester City the year they won the league. So he retired on a high. <laughs> but yeah, I think Swansea, 
I think we'll start coming good. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be faith. I'm gonna have faith. You know, hope that we can turn it around. I think Asante, Rogic coming in. Peters looks encouraging. I can see us beating Swansea. I'm gonna say two nil. I mean, I will be there on Saturday, and I will be obviously supporting the team. And again, it's one of those whereby you are in a situation where you're kind of torn between what do you want and what's best for the club. And of three points today better than Steve Bruss growing. Steve Bruss, that's how it's pronounced in Schneverlands. If he goes, is that better for us in the long run? Will that overall tally us more points than three points this Sunday, Saturday and keeping him? I don't know. The question will be answered. Right, well, it's been a while, but I think we can leave it there. It's late. I'm jet-lagged. Joe and Alex are tired after busy, busy days working to solve crises in the country. So. All that remains for me to say is thank you for listening. Thank you for coming back to the Bait Club. Thank you for staying with us, remaining loyal. We appreciate you stopping in. So let me say a huge thank you to you, Alex. Cheers. Huge thank you to you, Joe. Cheers. Thank you for listening to us this week, and we'll see you next week. Sweet dreams. Sweet 